One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa. The saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin while there's still Greetings, everybody. This is Marcus Staples, your servant Jesus Christ, coming to you with another edition of Unpacking the Theology, the show that unpacks the reason behind the rhyme in Christian hip-hop. So, we'll be continuing our theme of false teaching here, and we have no shortage of options of songs to choose from. But this week, I chose Shylin's track, False Teachers, from his album Lyrical Theology Part 1, Theology, put out by Lamp Mode Recordings, and I chose it for a reason, and not because it was controversial. But since it was, let's talk about that for a second. When this album came out, this song was very controversial, and it was controversial for a few reasons. One reason was that Shylin did some name dropping. He named some specific false teachers. And this, apparently, is a big deal. Now, he's not the first to have done it. Jovan McKenzie and Ivy Connolly are two of many who have done this before. But Shylin is one of the most popular Christian hip-hop artists, and so he was an easy target when he came out with this song. A lot of people question whether or not it was right for him to call out people by name. And as we learned on our last episode, yes, if you put yourself in the public domain as a teacher of Christ, you put yourself out for public scrutiny. Another reason calling people out by name is controversial is why choose one person and not the other? There's a simple answer to this one. And that's that he chose people based on a certain type of false teaching. Some people claim that he was picking on one race or that he was picking on wealthy people. And the truth is, those that he chose to call out, he chose to call out based on the type of false teaching that they do. And that's what we're going to cover in this episode. Another reason this was controversial is because, as we discussed in our last episode, that people frown upon calling out false teachers. They say, let them speak what they want. Let them, let them teach what they want as long as they're helping people. But we all learned that that's not true. Now, I didn't choose this track for the controversy, but rather because of the type of teacher that it calls out. In our previous episode, we covered the idea of false teaching as a whole. We learned what false teaching is, and we learned what the Bible had to say about false teachers. In the episode before that, we talked about false prophets and false signs and people looking for signs instead of looking at the Word of God. This time, we're going to be calling out the prosperity heresy, or as some call it, the prosperity gospel. But what is the prosperity gospel? Well, after doing a search, the best definition I could find happened to be on Wikipedia. I'll read it with a little commentary on my part. Their definition is this. Prosperity theology, sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, or the gospel of success, is a Christian, and I put quotes around Christian, religious doctrine that financial blessing is the will of God for Christians, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to Christian ministries will increase one's material wealth. Based on non-traditional interpretations of the Bible, and you can say that again, Often with emphasis on the book of Malachi, the doctrine views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver his promise of security and prosperity. Confessing these promises to be true is perceived as an act of faith, which God will honor. The doctrine emphasizes the importance of the personal empowerment. 
proposing that it is God's will for people to be happy. The atonement is interpreted to include the alleviation of sickness and poverty, which are viewed as curses to be broken by faith. This is believed to be achieved through donations of money, visualizations, and positive confession, and is often taught in mechanical and contractual terms. So, in other words, the prosperity heresy is believe, confess, sow a seed, and God will bless you. As we all know, that's definitely not the gospel. That teaching is actually what's called selfism. And selfism is a system of beliefs, philosophies, or doctrines that encourage and center around selfish desires. And the worst part is they claim that this teaching comes from the Bible. But all they're doing is twisting scripture, pulling things out of context, proof texting to make the Bible say what they want it to say. But if you take these passages, put them back in their context, and with a little bit of biblical understanding, and I do mean a little bit, you can see that what they're teaching just doesn't make any sense. So we're going to take a few of these, and we are going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, and those are context, context, and context. The first one we're going to look at is Malachi 3.10. It reads, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, context is key in this one. While on the surface it does sound like all we have to do is give a tithe and God will bless us, we have to understand what's going on not only in this book, but when it was written and to whom. This letter was written to the nation of Israel, who were under the Mosaic law. That's important to understand. Also, the context of the book this is in is important. And it's only four chapters long, so it should take you about 10 minutes to read it to really get a grasp of it. The way it's laid out is God is making charges against the people of Israel, and then he's responding to those charges and what they ought to do to fix them. There's a format he follows in making these charges, and we're going to take a look at them. The first charge reads like this. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says Yahweh of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But the response of the people goes like this. But you say, how have we despised your name? God's answer? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that Yahweh's table may be despised. If you read on, you'll see that he's talking about sacrifices that were being made. And the sacrifices were lame animals and sick animals. When God called in the Mosaic law that all sacrifices should be without spot or blemish. The second charge reads like this, the charge, and this second thing you do, you cover Yahweh's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. The response, but you say, why does he not? God's answer, because Yahweh was witness between you and your wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. The next charge, you have wearied Yahweh with your words. The response, but you say, how have we wearied him? The answer, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The next charge, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. 
Return to me, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. The response? But you say, how shall we return? The answer, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. The final charge, you have been warned against me, says Yahweh. The response? But you say, how have we spoken against you? The answer, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as in mourning before Yahweh our host? So as you see, all these charges are based on the covenant of the Mosaic law. That covenant was bilateral, which means that the nation of Israel had to fulfill their end, and God would fulfill his. So God is bringing a charge saying, you were not fulfilling my law in this way. And then he was highlighting to them the way in which they were not keeping the law. And then if you read the whole book, which I encourage you to do because it's only four chapters long, you'll see that that God is describing what they're doing wrong and how they should fix it and that he'll bless them if they fix it. Again, it's contingent on them doing something. And we all know that the new covenant is unilateral, that it's a promise of salvation for those who put their trust in God. And that trust even itself is a gift from God. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is being said to the nation of Israel by reading the opening, and we know for a fact that this letter is under the standard of the Mosaic Law, because at the end of the book, God has Malachi pen this. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him, at Horeb for all of Israel. The next verse that's often misquoted is John 10.10, and again, context is key. Now, I'm not going to read the individual passage, I'm actually going to read the context that the passage is contained in, and you tell me if you hear where it's teaching prosperity. But before I start reading, you need to know the context of what's going on here. This is the story where Jesus heals the man born blind, and the Pharisees question the man because he was healed on the Sabbath. Where we're going to pick up is where Jesus has just encountered the man after he healed him, and the man believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Alright, here it goes. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the doors, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. For just as for just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So did you hear anything about prosperity, about riches and health in that at all? Yeah, I didn't either. The verse in question that the prosperity teachers push is the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. From the context, we understand that the thief, unlike what many people teach, is not the devil, but the thief is the false teacher, is the one who came in before claiming that they had the right teaching, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And the abundant life that he mentions isn't a life full of riches and wealth and health and and ease, but it's what the shepherd gives when he lays down his life. And we all know that when the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he's bringing them unto salvation. The next verse, taken out of context for prosperity preaching, is 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. Again, I'm going to read the context before and after, and tell me if you hear anything about God promising health or wealth or prosperity. It starts, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be good in health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. If we put it back in its context, it's a simple greeting. Peter is writing a letter to Gaius, and he opens the letter with a standard greeting. That was no promise. That was no assurance from God that we're getting health. That was a hello. That was the dear so-and-so you put at the top of your letters. It wasn't a promise of any sort. There are a couple of other scriptures that prosperity preachers use, and I don't have time to go over them. You can find a link to some good descriptions of what they actually mean in their context in the podcast feed or on our website, unpackingthetheology.wordpress.com. But for the sake of completeness, they are Matthew 25, 14 through 13, which is the parable of the talents, and Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But moving on. Prosperity teachers twist scripture. The Bible warns us of them. One verse comes from Matthew chapter 7. In verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Another one comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It reads, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So, it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So the Bible has a lot to say on this subject. It even has words to say on the deceitfulness of wealth. We find this in Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Another warning on the dangers of wealth comes to us in 1 Timothy 6. We're going to be reading verses 2 through 10. It goes, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has unhealthy cravings for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. 
but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The Bible teaches that there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And that means having the basic essentials, food, clothing, a roof over your head, should be enough for us. Desiring to be wealthy will only lead us into a trap and ultimately to idolize the money and therefore not putting our trust in God. I'm going to forego the normal ending, though I do want to plug our Facebook and our Google+. You guys should check those out. But I want to let Shyland give a list of prosperity preachers to look out for. So next time you hear somebody mention these names, think back to this episode. In fact, refer them to this episode so they can learn that the teaching that they're getting from these guys is not biblical and is not the true word of God or the true gospel. Additionally, if you notice that we didn't have a verse for this episode... And that worried you a bit? Relax, we have one. I just didn't want to read it myself and wanted to leave it to someone a bit more talented. And that person is Timothy Brindle. So, without further ado, I'm going to let these guys wrap up this episode. This is Marcus Staples, signing off.